Hello and welcome back to Hype Talk. I assume you guys are familiar to the show format. In case you aren't, the show is basically about going down the memory lane and talking about what and how everything happened in that one show or movie we haven't watched recently but can never be forgotten. One of such unforgettable shows was Game of Thrones, which was discussed in the last episode. This episode is going to be about the 5th and the 6th season which is also a series of unpredictable and maddening events and deaths of course because everyone just keeps dying on this show and some might say that that's the beauty of it but I don't see it that way but anyway the deed is done the show is out and you all have probably moved on but this podcast is much like a closure for me so grab a cup of coffee or tea or whatever you need and let's talk about game of thrones season 5 of game of thrones starts with a forest sequence with two girls looking for something and i instantly knew it was sassy again they've done such a great job with the makeup and hair which looks pretty familiar and the actress who's played young sassy has carried out so well and that's not really a smooth part to play because Cersei is someone who is poised and proper and she has a specific walk and long blonde hair and very queenly persona which is super tough to portray so she's in this shady looking tent to visit this witch who is like a fortune teller and she has answers about Cersei's future but they're all answers no one would be happy to hear about and with Joffrey's death and Marjorie coming along it all seems like little pieces of the prophecy have started to fall in place and we instantly relate the present scenario to the prophecy and so does Cersei this season is like the downest of downs for Cersei things get so bad that you doubt she will ever be the same person she used to be but some people are brought up in a certain way and seeing certain things since childhood that over the time it's just so deep rooted in their heads that it's hard to break their spirit or you know weaken them in any sense and i'm assuming cersei was brought up very politically from the beginning being from noble family having seen what it's like to be powerful and intimidating it's really tough to believe in anything else except power for cersei and that's actually what i thought would mentally destroy her but boy it made her worse So now that Joffrey is dead, Marjorie is meant to marry Tommen Baratheon. I was never a fan of Tommen, but at least he was in Joffrey. And as I mentioned in the last episode, Cersei always wanted to rule indirectly through her sons. And first it was difficult with Joffrey, and now Marjorie, being the manipulative person she is, turns him against Cersei and asks him to convince her to leave for Castle Rock. I mean, the amount of courage that lady has to ploy against Cersei is unbelievable. But somewhere she does that to secure her place and power as the queen because with Cersei being so close, anyone who withholds more power than her is at life risk. However, Cersei being Cersei makes an alliance with the Holy Sept and appoints a new high sparrow. to try and make things difficult for the new queen and her homosexual brother only to fall so badly in her own trap of all the very smart moves Cersei has made this one backfired on her and how the walk of atonement what do i say again probably one of the most toughest scenes to shoot and portray 
the depth of it i mean i'm so very curious to read the scene on paper because it's so powerful and you go through a wave of so many emotions at the same time because Cersei isn't someone you're used to seeing so weak and vulnerable and crying it's like a nightmare coming true because she never saw this coming she never imagined things would get this bad in the first place and the problem with this scene is it's one of those times when you ask yourself why do i feel terrible about this she's a terrible person and she has done some terrible things to good people and one cannot cause so much pain and get away with it you have to face your own karma and still somehow you can't make your peace with the fact that she deserves a part of it it's her Jamie Lannister somehow rescues Missella from Dawn and she says she knew about Jamie being her father which kind of came as a shock to me and then they have a cute father daughter moment until she dies i mean why why can't you just let some part of some member of some family be happy i understand that was a revenge for obrin martel which was again my favorite character but still is it just is it too much to ask for anyway ramsey bolton was introduced in this season and i hated him the insecurity of being a bastard son had somewhere gotten into his head and made him so bitter that he'd stopped seeing the difference between right and wrong and as long as he was torturing theon everyone thought you know maybe it's for the right reasons let's face it theon did do terrible things but it escalated pretty quickly and got worse but as i've said earlier everyone will pay for their deeds speaking of deeds i did not expect stannis to stick around for so long because of the kind of man he is he can do anything and everything for power i mean he burned his own daughter alive who does that i was surprised he even made it to the fifth season but he has this perfect death scene he dies at the hands of brienne and that's the right way for him to die because brienne had practically made it her life's purpose to avenge renly so they're even The fifth season is also the first time on the show you see Sansa in a comparatively stronger position than before. It might be coming from a place of concern or protection for Theon and herself or coming back to Winterfell and some she somewhere realizes that this is where she's wanted to be for the longest of time and now that she's here she needs to step up for herself. So she flees with Theon from Winterfell which was a brave move and then younger Stark daughter who is now a very fierce assassin by the way. loses her sight because she goes off track and kills Meryn Chant who she wasn't supposed to but he was the first person on Arya's list for killing her dance instructor Sirio Ferrell so yay the high sparrow causes a lot of trouble in king's landing because apparently his gods are against homosexuality so he arrests uh, Loras and Marjorie for lying to the gods but i guess they had to see it coming because i as i said If she had the guts to plot against Cersei, she also has to have it in her to face the consequences of what follows. But Cersei lost both ways as she was then arrested for her affair with her younger brother Lancel. Although something tells me that if Marjorie had been there to witness Cersei's walk of shame, I don't think Marjorie would only be a spectator. I mean, even if they had so much of bad blood between each other, being a woman, she would have definitely tried to help Cersei. so the most awaited alliance on the show okay not the most awaited that's later but 
I was very excited for Tyrion to meet Danny and see how everything turns out. And for once, the show has not disappointed. But before Tyrion meets Danny, he meets Ser Jorah. Two of the best men on the show traveling from Essos to meet Daenerys Targaryen. And they have quite an adventure. So Tyrion, being the incredibly smart man he is, figures out why Ser Jorah was taking him to Queen Daenerys and also gets him talking about why he is so devoted to Danny, which again is such a lovely scene. Jorah, on asking why she's worth it and why do we believe in her so much, says, and I quote, You're a cynic. And so was I, until I saw a girl walk into a pie with three stone eggs. The next morning, I thought I'd see her in ashen bones, but I saw her unhurt, unharmed, and alive with three baby dragons. Have you ever heard baby dragons singing? It's hard to be a cynic after that. If you're wondering, no, I haven't watched Game of Thrones recently. I only read the plot before preparing to record. And yes, I might have memorized my favorite scenes and dialogues from the show. After Tyrion is introduced to Danny, there's a scene where they're sitting and drinking and talking about the past, present and the future, politics, warfare and who killed whom and the screenplay is so wonderful that after a point they just keep snapping at each other like your father burned men, cool no big deal, your brother killed my father and then you kill your own father and we're like wait, slow down, let us process this. Use names, we can't keep guessing we are talking about all the time because we have a Lannister and we have a Targaryen talking to each other. You can't you can't possibly fight with words here right now. She finally chooses Tyrion to advise her, which was the smartest decision Danny has made on the show. With that and the stone eggs and dragons and of course but you know what I mean. Now, coming to the one person the season closing is all about, the new Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. So are you guessing what happened here? Exactly. I put my hopes up when John learned how to stand up for himself and how to make tough calls. And yes, they killed him. So when I started watching the fifth season, I met one of my best friends from school and we were talking about the fifth season and then we got to talking about Jon Snow. And suddenly he said, you know, uh, at the end of this season, John dies. And like, what? John, what? And because he didn't deny that it was a spoiler, or didn't act like he's, he had spilled something out, I obviously thought he was kidding until John actually died. A pro tip, never talk to your friends about which show you're watching. Please, never. And what a painful death. I mean, how do they even think of these devious things? So Ollie, the cute kid everyone has a great deal of sympathy for, calls John outside, say, uh, using his uncle's name. And I'm like, John, what are you doing? Don't go. Don't trust him. Okay, fine. It's Uncle Benjamin. So take your sword and, you know, so that you can at least defend yourself. But John is a hero and heroes have a tendency to be unaware and incautious at all times and they got him just like that they stab him one after the other saying for the watch and even when you're trying to process what just happened somewhere in your conscious it's the bad guys versus the good guy but when ollie stabs the last knife in his heart that my friend is what they call betrayal 
Season 6 of Game of Thrones starts with the aftermath of Jon's death. And as he was appointed as the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch recently, now it's pretty obvious that there has to be a new Lord Commander. So Alyssa Thorne, as planned, acquires power over the Night's Watch in no time. But in spite of that, it's pretty evident that no one really is on board with Thorne's decision because considering the facts, Jon was definitely a better leader and he most certainly wouldn't ever do what Thorne did. John's revival wasn't really, didn't really come as a shock to me as much as his death did. I was pretty sure this isn't how things end for him because one, uh, there isn't really another major male protagonist on the show, and which was technicality. And two, I might have seen a few posters with John's picture on them, so I kind of knew he was going to make it to the finale. What I didn't expect was Melisandre doing something that's actually very useful for the very first time on the show. John's revival was a wonderful scene, though the moment he gasps for air and comes back to life, and then Sir Davos rushes with a blanket and everything starts coming back to John. It was terrible enough that he was ruling a bunch of people who weren't really on his side, but now he has witnessed his own murder. He knows who killed him and how. And to think of it again and again and have all of those scars on your body haunt you for the rest of your life. I mean, I'd rather stay dead. <laughs> but then, unlike me, John has a purpose of life. As of now, I'm going to keep saying that I was happy he was alive. But wait till the finale until he changes my opinion. Anyway... Sansa Stark finally makes it to the wall and meets Jon after six long seasons. And I suppose that this was more than six years. And even if they didn't mean so much to each other before, now the tables have turned and everything has changed and they're the only ones they've got. So this choice to a full reunion was very, very special for everyone. I guess it was a happy moment that everyone needed. So, as I said before, Sansa is definitely in a better position than before. Now that she's with Jon and she has Brienne by her side, she feels safe, she feels strong, and she's in her right minds. And when a person is in their right minds, they think through every situation and don't get manipulated by people like the little finger. I didn't really understand why Sansa didn't cut strings off with Lord Baelish because he was clearly responsible for half of the horrible things that happened to her. But she intended to make him useful one last time before Arya and... Oh, one last time, that's it. Brandon Stark has finally made an appearance in the show after skipping one whole season because apparently he was getting trained by the Three-Eyed Raven. The Children of the Forest was the only plot of thrones I wasn't invested in so much until they revealed that the killers beyond the wall were actually meant to be protectors. The sequence where the Night King attacks on Bran and Mira and the Three-Eyed Raven in the cave was such a stressful scene. I almost thought that we're going to lose Bran because Mira clearly wasn't capable of protecting Bran in any way. When she dragged him on the little trolley through all that chaos, I was mentally preparing myself to say goodbye to Bran. His entire journey started flashing in front of my eyes within an instant, right from being pushed by Jamie in Winterfell to meeting real siblings and for once, for once, I was actually prepared for a death on the show. Uncle Benjamin interfered and saved him. Don't get me wrong, I was obviously happy Bran was alive, but still. The true glory of the sixth season 
has to be the Battle of Bastards. But let's suggest something that happens before the battle. So after the dead wedding, the Boltons painted a pretty clear picture that they support the Lannisters. But Sansa had no knowledge of this, thanks to Littlefinger. Otherwise, she would have never agreed to marry Ramsay. In the second episode of this season, Ramsay gets to know that Ruth Bolton's wife has given birth to a baby boy, which means the Boltons have a true-born heir now. So Ramsay kills his old father and feeds his stepmother and a newborn baby to his dogs. Who does that? He then finds Rickon Stark and threatens John to get Sansa back, which was obvious. So then there's a parley between Ramsay Bolton and Jon Snow, after which Sansa sends a secret message to Vale to the little finger asking for help. And this battle sequence, oh dear lord. I still have a screensaver on my laptop where John is standing in a defending position against the Bolton forces by himself. According to me, this battle happens just because Rickon Stark wasn't smart enough to cross run. But anyway, all's well that ends well. The little finger comes through and John wins the Battle of Bastards and Sansa feeds Ramsay to his own dogs. And after six long seasons, the Stark banners rise at Winterfell once again. The sixth season is a very momentous season for Danny because all this while all she had was a name, three dragons and a few loyal people of her own but now she has a cause, she has an identity. She's the one who freed all the slaves and conquered the slave cities. But she's taken by a huge Dostraki horde which takes her to a Dosh Khalim temple where she's kept with all the widows. That is when Sir Jorah and Dario Naharis offer her a plan to escape, but she has different plans to win these people over. So she sets the whole temple on fire and emerges from inside unhurt and more powerful than ever. It's like Danny's rebirth, which is similar to John's, because both of them are back to where they started out, but only more powerful. And the Dothrakis haven't ever seen something like this. So for them, it's like a powerful goddess whom they're bound to follow from now on. So she leads the horde through a desert when she senses the presence of Drogon. So she flies back to Marine while it's under siege by slave masters. So she meets masters for negotiating a deal and kills two of them instead. That's badass. That's the first time we see Tyrion and Danny getting along and getting a hang of shooting together. And I was surprised that it didn't feel weird at all. In spite of being a Lannister, him being a Lannister, it appears as if he was always meant to be on this side of the fight where he's valued and respected and alive, obviously. So finally, this is the time when Queen Daenerys of House Targaryen is going to march towards Westeros with three full-grown dragons, a fleet, an army, a strong alliance with the Greyjoy siblings, Olena Tyrell and Lyara Martell, and a Lannister as the Hand of the Queen. She's basically unbeatable. After the Walk of Atonement, the only thing that I suppose kept Cersei driving was her love for Jamie, her love for her children, and the desire for revenge. Not long after the Walk of Atonement, Jamie brings back her only daughter, dead from dawn. At this point, 
it's really tough not to feel bad for Saucy and Jamie because Saucy has nearly lost everything that she truly cared about. And on top of that, her only hope to get back at the High Sparrow was the small council because naturally she expected her to her own uncle to avenge her humiliation but Kevin Lannister assures Cersei that he's nothing like Tywin Lannister and removes Cersei and Jaime from the small council with the backing of the Jerez. And as the people who have known Cersei for what she is, they should have seen extreme consequences coming for their extreme actions because Cersei isn't someone who gives up when the fight gets tough. She's the one who straight away thinks of ending it one way or another. One of the reasons why Marjorie is one of my favorite characters on the show is because she's very quick at perceiving intentions and specifically her enemy's intentions. And unlike Cersei, Marjorie's heart was at her right place. And even if she was just as greedy as Cersei for power, I definitely think she would have made a more reasonable queen than Cersei. The only thing she was better at than Cersei was manipulation. So she talks Tormund into the Fade and the Crown Alliance bullshit, which was obviously orchestrated by the High Sparrow. And the next big step was sending Jamie away from the capital and abolishing trial by combat. So the High Sparrow, Marjorie Terrell and King Tormund all were very successful in breaking Cersei's morale and mentally breaking her, letting her believe that she's all alone and she's going to lose the trial. What they weren't successful in was being alive. In the last episode of the sixth season, a trial is scheduled for Cersei in the Sept of Baelor. Cersei knew what the consequences of this trial can be. Now that the Faith and the Crown are in united power, she also knew that she wasn't going to let herself get humiliated once again, especially in front of everyone who deeply wants her to break. So, she lets everything proceed as planned, but she doesn't let Tommen leave his chambers for the trial, and neither does she leave her own chambers. People start gathering for the trial, and Marjorie starts getting suspicious about Cersei's absence. So the High Sparrow sends Faith militants to fetch Cersei, but they're distracted by the spy children. And one of them is followed by Lancel Lannister in a dungeon, where there are barrels full of wild fire and three tiny candles about to burn out. The rest of the spy children stab Maester Pycelle on the order of Kyburn, and one little child stabs Lancel in his leg, which makes him impossible to even try to stop the candles from burning out. This is when Marjorie loses it. And she was right, but she was late. Until they realize that this isn't the right place to be, there's a two-second stare between the High Sparrow and Marjorie, and we bid them goodbye forever. Cersei's proudly looking at the explosion like some victory trophy, and Tormund instantly jumps down the wall and commits suicide. This was like the only independent decision he's made all through his life. There, you killed everyone. Are you happy now? The sixth season ends with Brandon's vision, where he finds out that Jon Snow isn't his father's son. He's the son of Lyanna Stark and Rhaegar Targaryen, and his name is Aegon Targaryen, who is the rightful heir to the throne. And Robert's rebellion that drew a wedge between the Starks and the Targaryens was a lie. So all this for nothing.
If you've made it to the end of this podcast, thank you so much for listening. If you like what you just heard, please make sure that you stay tuned for the next episode because it's going to be the last episode in Game of Thrones. My Instagram handle is at sanyy with a double e. So please let me know what you think about this episode and follow me for more updates. 